Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode originally aired on my YouTube channel on the 14th of December 2020, and it's with Jen Ruiz. Jen and I discussed her transition from being a lawyer to a full-time blogger and becoming a number one best-selling author on Amazon. I spoke to her about the mindset that is required to become successful, plus I spoke to her about her love life and much more. Thank you for being here, Jen. I appreciate your time. How are you? I'm good, Shams. How are you? I'm doing great. You're in Puerto Rico, is that correct? I am, yes. Thank you for making time in your schedule for me today. Um, I'm here in sunny Puerto Rico where we get exactly 12 hours of sunshine every day. And I get like from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. to be productive year round. Um, But I can't complain. You recently moved back to Puerto Rico. You used to live in the States, is that correct? So I was born here, which technically makes Spanish my first language, but I think in English, I do everything in English. And so I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to college in Miami, law school in Baltimore, worked for a few years in back in South Florida because I miss the heat. I'm drawn to the heat. Um, and then after I transitioned from law, I was in upstate New York for two years before moving down to Puerto Rico. <laughs> so <laughs> law was your profession for what well, full time until recently so I went straight through college and I went to, to law school afterwards so I started law school at like uh 2021 and so I was barred by 24 and I decided to go back to Florida because I well I worked for a year in Baltimore afterwards for a court and I liked it but I wanted to I realized that I was getting very cemented onto a path and I was like, if I don't want the path to be somewhere that's cold, aka the mid-Atlantic region, like I better move now before I really get, you know, tied into a good job, benefits, all those things. And so I moved to Florida, started over again, took the bar again there in Florida, which was not fun. But again, if I had just taken a bar, at least I had some of the knowledge freshly there, you know, I could study with a less rigorous uh, program and just kind of use it as a refresher. So did that. And then I worked while I was pending bar clearance, I was still working just as a clerk at a law firm. And then I had the opportunity to work for a social security firm that since it deals with federal administrative law, you could do it with any bar. It didn't matter if it was Maryland or Florida. So while I was pending my Florida bar results, I was working as an attorney, as a social security disability attorney. And that was my first like step into the courtroom. Did about 700 cases that way. Um, And then I moved over to legal aid in the other side of Florida. So kind of a slower pace. I was in Fort Lauderdale beforehand. Um, and then moving to that kind of coastal town, um, in the slower North, uh, Southwest part of Florida. It was nice. It was very calm. A lot of, I was three blocks from the beach and my coworkers were wonderful. It was a little, um, kind of liberal team in a very conservative atmosphere. Um, but everybody there just wanted to save the world and was just so lovely and very optimistic and positive. And I liked my time there, but I just knew that it wasn't for me um, because I didn't have a lot of 
when I'm into when I'm into something, I want to excel to the best that I can at, at it, and I want to be part of everything, and I want to join every club and volunteer as much as I can, right? And I didn't have any of that in law. I was realizing that I wanted to do the least possible, and I wanted to leave the minute I could, and I wanted to have the minimum commitments. And so that's how I knew that I wasn't doing what I was really meant to be doing. What about the travel? Where did that aspect come from then? So I had been feeling an itch since my very first, you know, clerking position in Florida as I was sitting there waiting bar clearance. Um, I would do these forms all day, but then I would also take time and on the side work on like articles that I would submit to Elite Daily. And Elite Daily wasn't paying me. I was just a contributor, but they had at the time before they were acquired by all these different people, um, they had a contributor program and I could get really big exposure on their platform and they would send out alerts every day of trending news. And so I would kind of my brain need your brain needs a challenge, right? If it doesn't find a way to entertain itself at work, like it's going to entertain itself somewhere else. So I would actually take joy out of like finishing the day's work as quickly as possible in like one or two hours, and then knocking out one or two trending articles, like if I could that day, and sending them in for possible publication. So I had like more than fifty articles that were published with Elite Daily just in that like couple months time span. Um, and so with that, they had another magazine that found me because some of the articles did really well, like more than 10 million views or something crazy. Um, and so I had a Pace magazine that is a fully online magazine reach out to me because they had a travel vertical they were trying to develop. They had seen one of the articles I posted in Elite Daily. They were paying like $150 an article. And I was like, I'm rich. Somebody's paid me to write. <laughs> and this is so exciting. Um, but they wanted me to write about travel. And I didn't know anything about travel because I'm an attorney. I've just been sitting here in this like golden prison of an office for the last couple of years, right? So did you travel when you were young then? I had I had always taken summer vacations and trips. My mom's an educator. So I always loved going to museums. I always loved learning. Like we did random things. Like I went to Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water, like the architecture house, like in Pennsylvania that no other random kid would go to. And like the second tallest bridge in the state, like things like that, that we would go and see. So I gained an appreciation for that early on. My mom and I took a two week trip after high school. That was like a, my first big international trip. And we went to Europe and um, she paid a lot of money. She saved a lot of money. She paid that money to have like AAA organized a tour for us through, I think, Trafalgar or something of the sort. And I just remember, I, I remember one night that we were sitting there and like the dinner in Italy was like sliced ham and like canned peas. And I was like, we are not going to eat this in Italy. I, I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. I will do better than this. And so I had a, like a dummy's guide to Europe. And I was like, I can figure this out, mom. I can read. And it says it all right here in the book. And I, we just got to read it and then we'll know it too. Like that's how reading works. And so um, I just started using the guidebook and I got us all throughout Europe. We went and actually found, we did a couple of trips on our own. We broke away. We went to little restaurants in Italy. We went to Stonehenge on our own day trip. I was like, I can get us there. This says the train is coming here. This is, you know, this is, this says it all. Um, and so I realized I really enjoyed that and that I could plan a better trip than these really expensive trips. And I think that started my love for doing it on my own. Um, and customizing the itinerary and making sure you're not just like following a red flag every day. Did have a little bit of FOMO as I was graduating law school that I realized I had done so much education and I hadn't studied abroad anywhere. So with that in mind, I specifically entered a course that involved a summer study abroad program at the end as like part of the course 
prerequisite. And I went to Australia for six weeks on my own to do a, an internship program there before I graduated law school. So these were all the things that had prepped me and my love of travel leading up to that. Going from law to full-time blogger, as, as you, and you're, um, you created Jet, um, Jen on a Jet Plane. I actually love that name. By the way, would you regard yourself? Is it authentic travel? Is it solo travel? Is it luxury travel? Solo female travel, I think, is a uh, definitely my audience. So I like to empower women that are just wanting to go and see something different and want to break away and want to be able to plan and customize things to their liking. Um, and I'll also, in general, I also talk a lot about affordable flights. That was part of my first book and it's what got me, you know, kind of that traction and where the jet plane part came from because I realized so many people thought the vacations were expensive, but they really aren't if you can just not pay $2,000, $3,000 for a flight. Then from there, everything else is really affordable. You can have a whole vacation for under $1,000 if your flight is two, $300 and you know, you have all the rest to work with. There's really a, a lot that you can do there. So I felt that so many people felt that traveling was cost prohibitive and that the flight was the main pain point so that if I could help people with that, I could open travel up for more people. Flights these days, you know, there's, there's no excuses. I think you can find so many websites, so many apps these days. Now I came back from Turkey not long ago, uh, sterling pounds. It was like 165 pounds to Istanbul and back. It's like, you know, you, you, you couldn't, you, I could might as well have just gone for free. That, that's how cheap it was. Um, <laughs> I mean, gone are the days of travel agencies uh, booking everything for you because I guess maybe techn as technology has moved on and it's so much more easier. So when I first started traveling, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you had to go into the say, travel agency and say, I want to book this. And or you were able to maybe book things online, but in terms of like itinerary, it was quite difficult. But I'd say in the last five years, it's, it's just gone on another level where I can literally go to a country or a place I could just get my phone out and then go on an app, book a hotel. I've just booked it right now. And it allows people to customize things and to not spend money where they don't want to spend money and not have to commit themselves to these thousands of dollar packages, but really have a pay-as-you-go model uh, on your own budget, you know, getting the accommodations at your level, getting the food at your level. There's street food everywhere. You know, there's affordable hotels everywhere. There's rental options. So there's really a lot that people can do to make their budget stretch and see more. Um, I think in Europe, you're a little bit spoiled for choice because you have so many places that you can get to for really, really cheap and so many great airlines that function there. It's a tiny bit harder when you're crossing the ocean for sure, like the Atlantic or the Pacific um, from the US to Asia or from the US to Europe, but still can be done, I think, affordably. Uh, your own airlines like Norwegian has been wonderful for us, $300 flights, you know, even to California, which is significantly longer flight, flight time for them, at least an extra six hours or so. Um, and they've managed to make that affordable for everybody. So I agree that there are a lot of ways to manage that. So I talk about that and I talk about ways that female can, females can travel on their own as well. And you mentioned your books. Uh, so you're regarded as Amazon's number one best-selling author, which is amazing um, to have that status. So the types of books, you, I mean, uh, does it vary? Or is it all to do with sort of solo female traveling and empowering women? So I think that for anybody that's looking to 
monetize their expertise and repackage that into a book, which I highly recommend for all entrepreneurs or anybody that just knows a topic really well. You don't have to be the world's foremost topic. You just, you know, expert, you just have to be somebody that can offer value. Um, I recommend that you give the people what they are asking you for. So I really have done my books based on the questions that I've gotten. I thought that my first book was going to be an eat, pray, love of sorts, you know, a whole story of the 12 trips in 12 months. But people kept asking me about the cheap flights because I didn't know it, but I had inadvertently been marketing my book all along by sharing the flight deals that I was getting. So I was having more and more interest. People were engaging with my posts and they wanted a book on that. So that book came out and it did very well. It was called The Affordable Flight Guide because it answered the question I was getting asked most often, which is how are you affording this? You know? And then after that, I had, you know, how are you able to do this as a full-time attorney? So my second book was how to travel with a full-time job. You need a vacation, how to travel with a full-time job. And then after that, I was getting asked, well, you know, is it safe? How do you feel traveling solo? So then I wrote the solo female travel book. And then most recently, I was already planning on transitioning to talking about, you know, remote work and and business and just um, reaching out to another genre of books on the Kindle store. And um, then the pandemic happened. And I realized that I needed to push that next book out even faster. So uh, in April, I published 25 Ways to Work from Home. And it talks about all the different ways that I've seen friends monetize their online presence from virtual summits, you know, to YouTube channels, uh, whatever the case may be. And so I cover 25 of those and list examples of friends that I've had who are doing it successfully, you know, helpful websites people can use. And that's just one of this next series that's going to be about kind of digital entrepreneurship and, and nomad life. How's that? How's the book done sale-wise then? Really well. So it's been well received. It's def- It was a bestseller in multiple categories uh, right now. Um, I believe it's it's currently at number one in two categories, but it juggles up and down depending on the demand, but it does sell well. People really respond well to it. I have a TikTok following I developed as well that's um, remote work focused. And so they are often clicking through to that and making sales from that link in bio there in TikTok. So it it's very well received, has good reviews generally. I had an Amazon, I think top 50 reviewer. That's my first one. So they have like a top 100, top 500. Um, so I had a top Amazon reviewer leave me a very good review. So I feel I feel good about it. Transition from law to traveling, and obviously you've done your books, and you know it's it's taken off. And um, you sometimes look look at it and go, "Wow, I've I've done it." Or do you always think, "Right, uh, next step"? I don't ever have that problem, but I also try to like recognize and enjoy and celebrate my accomplishments because I automatically go to next step, and I think it's like, okay, you're so. You're comparing yourself to the next goal. You're so eager to get there, but you haven't taken the time to appreciate it. You just reached this goal and this goal was good too. And we should like take a moment and celebrate. So I really do try to honor that. Like when I had my first, uh, when my book became a bestseller, I mean, it was just a normal day and I was at home and in the time still in Florida. And I just remember being like, well, this is it. Like it says number one bestseller, like it's it. It's number one in the category. I guess nobody's here to like announce it. But I think it's happening. And so I'm like, I should do something to commemorate. And I went to the grocery store and I bought like the biggest lobster that they had. And I went and I just like gorged on it that night. And I was like, this is my best selling author dinner. And um, like, so I think you have to do things like that to reward yourself. Were you signing autographs? 
Um, not at that time, but I have since then. And that's definitely also been a humbling experience. My first time that I had somebody come up to me was at the New York times travel show. And somebody came up to me with my book, like, Oh, Jen, I've been looking for you. Like, Oh my, my, or it was the daughter. She's like, my mom is like obsessed with you. And I didn't think she was going to say that because I thought she would be the one who's in my audience and readership. She's like, my mom has been looking everywhere for you. Um, can you sign the book please? And I just remember that was like my first experience of that. And it was very, it was cool. It's nice to reach these goals, but I do agree that there is a certain amount of happiness that is derived from having goals in general. So mm. I always have goals. I mean, I just sat down today and I wrote down what seems like ridiculous goals, but who knows in five years after all these steps I've been taking might be just like a natural progression, but I'm like a million followers and like, you know, like, uh, like all these different things that I have like New York Times bestseller. So I, I write down these goals and I speak them into existence. And I think that they, the first step in actually realizing them is believing that they're possible and then finding your way to work towards them. I was offered a job on, on radio earlier on this year. Towards the end of last year, I said to friends, well, I, I want to be a travel host on either TV or radio. And they just looked at me and just laughed out loud as whatever sort of stuff. But I believed mm -hmm. it in myself that, you know, if I, if I, I felt as though I was doing stuff on, on camera anyway, uh, I went to my, my school wise, um, my degree was in art, fine art. So I spent like three years in the, uh, in the edit room, you know, filming lots of stuff. And I thought I can do this. Why don't I not try it? So I applied for like the, the BBC travel show and they said, send in a video. And I did, and I never heard back. So I thought, oh, you know what? I'll start my own own stuff on, on, on Instagram. And then that's how it morphed. It just morphed to like um, what it is now. And then someone spotted me and said, oh, you know, we like the way you tell, your, you know, you like the way you tell your stories and get your guests to tell their stories. Would you want to talk? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm offered a job. So I, I believed I could do it. And I think you're right. If you've got a goal and it's if it's achievable, obviously, if it's unrealistic in some respects you know it's not going to be ideal but if you believe you can do it then why not I say so you know you've got to stay positive as well and almost everything is achievable I mean unless I decided I wanted to be I don't know queen of Russia I feel like that would be a difficult one to pull off but everything else I feel like is still achievable um you just have to put your mind to it and decide you know that this is the education I want to get this is a training I need to get this is a I have to do the experience I need to do when the time is going to pass anyway. So you may as well do it. Right. And I think that that's the key is just getting started. Um, like even with book publishing, I probably, I know so many people that sit there and they're just like, Oh, this is going to be my masterpiece. Like my magnus opus, like this is it. This is everything. It's like an encyclopedia sized book that nobody's going to read because it's an encyclopedia sized book. Right. And unless it's Harry Potter, like you're just going to have a hard time keeping the attention of people. Um, and so most people don't realize that it actually takes, you know, a couple of books to really hit your stride for most people's biggest bestseller. Like it's their fourth book, their fifth book. And you're never going to get to that point if you're just still sitting there on your first thinking this has to be a full on hit or otherwise I'm done. Like that's crazy. You have to play several rounds. You have to put yourself out there. You have to understand things naturally build and there's a progression and the only way to get in the game, even if you're stumbling all the way forward, but you're still like in the race, you know, is to actually start doing things. I was giving advice to someone, I was giving advice to someone today and said, you can't, you can't build your house without building the foundation. And then it's literally brick by brick, you know, taking that brick, layering it. And then there's going to be times where there's going to be someone 
you know, stopping you from building your house and then you might have to lend your bricks to someone else. If you can finish it off, some people never finish it off in their in their lifetime, but if you can achieve that, that's that's their aim, I think. So, and and then, you know, who knows, you know, where, where you could be, you can build your second house. You were on the panel the other day with me and we talked about the, the storytelling aspect, uh, how, why it's important to have inclusive. Now, obviously, I didn't get a chance because I was asking the questions, but um, I'll give you uh, some of my opinions uh, today. But um, you went, you, we spoke about how you see yourself, uh, do you see yourself as a role model? Why is diverse storytelling important? Um, and the content that you produce, why that is important as well. So just explain a little bit more, I'd say. Because you only get like two minutes to answer a question. Yeah, and you did such a great job moderating. So you gave everybody the chance to speak. I thought you were very even-handed. Um, so they need to hire you for more events. Um, oh, but in general, <laughs> um, I think it, um, I, I really, I don't think that you set out to be a role model, but you will be if you're somebody that's out in the public sphere because people are watching you. And I'm always surprised by how many people are watching and the impact that the messages I have make, like when I get these messages that are from women in, you know, Mexico or France, and they're like, I bought your book. I loved it. Like, I really related. I saw your video. It was so inspiring. You know, I'm always blown away. Um, I try to answer as much as I can. I think people are surprised when I do, um, because I guess that not a lot of people do, but I feel very grateful and I, and I want to help as much as I can. I know it can be draining to keep up with all the requests and sometimes it takes me a little bit, but I try to just like encourage people. And there's a lot of women that reach out to me because I'm very personal about my journey and kind of how I did this as a way I, I started traveling and did my 12 trips and 12 months challenge, um, like really traveling more intensely because I wanted to break away from societal pressures and kind of all the panic that I was going to be 30 and I still was single and I didn't have children and, you know, and everybody else is having wedding showers and baby showers. And now I don't have not a single party to celebrate any of my accomplishments. Like I barely have graduation dinner and, like, you know, and that I paid a lot of money for. So, um, it was really a lot of that. And I had travel was the one moment where instead of sitting there panicking, instead of sitting there thinking I need to be doing all these things. Maybe I should be freezing my eggs. Maybe I should be dating more people, right? A, a numbers game. Um, so instead of doing all of that, I just put all my energy into travel. And I figured, because once I hit 29, I was like, all right, let's be realistic, Jen. You got a year. It's a tough call to say that you're going to find a man and start a family within the next 12 months. Now you could spend the next 12 months freaking out and trying to make that happen and probably ending up with all the wrong choices because that's what happens when you try to force an outcome. Or we could celebrate being 29 and being young and still having, you know, the freedom and now the financial stability as a, you know, five-year attorney to travel and do things and uh, go have some fun, like enjoy the last year of the twenties because no one's getting any younger and like, this is it. It's over after this. So I was like, I'm like in, in terms of like the twenties, like they really, that's it. That's the end. That was the, that decade. And I don't know that I'd go back, but I definitely wanted to send it off in style. I felt like it deserved a good send-off. You know, I took some sick days where I would like, <laughs> I'm not coming in today as I'm pulling off on a balloon in the middle of a festival. <laughs> like, you know, I have no regrets. 
sometimes in the Asian society, by the way, um, you only need one role model. Uh, so, for example, I know in the United States, there's a um, actress, um, she used to be, well, she does Bollywood, I think, uh, Priyanka Chopra. So Indian women will go, oh, I want to go into Bollywood, but actually I know I want to go into Hollywood as well at the same time. So you need one person, really. So I like to think to myself, if I could be a role model and sort of show people that you can do it, you can open the door for other people, the following generation will just easily walk through it. I had a lady from Saudi Arabia, quite well known actually, Raha Muharak. Uh, she did like the seven summits, um, recognized internationally. And she said something like, the pressure sometimes is there, but I love that pressure because I'm inspiring Saudi women who get bad reputation all around the world or don't don't you know they can't they, people say they can't do anything well actually we can look i'm a woman i'm doing this you can do it as well so uh, i think that's where the, the role model question came from really and the other thing i want to make a point on actually um which i didn't i ran out of time inclusive uh, storytelling is important of course it is um but i've you've just told me your path hard work and there's a lot of work ethic in it you know you're telling me you're doing this doing this and this but actually writing articles at the same time you know you people can't assume that with diverse you know storytelling don't expect to get the jobs or don't expect to get publications you still have to work for it i think you know and you know you have to work together with other people as well so the way it will work as well is i think i mentioned there's a lot of bias within companies um so when they come to hire they'll hire someone that maybe looks like them so you know there's got to be drastic changes there but at the end of the day there's all you've also got to have the work ethic to do it you know don't expect things to be put on a plate for you i agree i think you just have to kind of keep setting the path and it's great because the people that come afterwards maybe take the path for granted and think that's the way it should have been all along. Um, but I think it's important to have those trailblazers. We're definitely seeing that now, right, with our women's rights movements and making sure that we are appreciative of all the rights that have been before us, that women now can do so many things and be in all these roles and travel alone, like you mentioned with your last guest that she was showing uh, women the way in that sense. And I think that that's something we've really seen uh, come across in the last decade or so, and I'm very happy for it. And I hope that it continues to be an ongoing trend. And can I ask you about your nonprofit organization, People of Puerto Rico? Uh, People of Puerto Rico. Uh, so, where did that come about then? So, I knew when I left law that I wanted to use my legal knowledge for something. So, I knew that I was going to travel the world and try to find a cause that I that spoke to me, and then go from there. Um, I like Puerto Rico because it is well, first, where I'm from. So, I feel some kind of to it. But also, I feel very grateful for all the opportunities that I've had. And I know my mom worked very hard to go from one generation of welfare, nobody with a degree to now me being, you know, a lawyer and having everything available to me. And, and I feel like no opportunity is beyond my reach. And then especially here on the island, because it's like, no, you're not really going to be make money doing that. Yeah, I may be talented, but oh, well, we got to suck it up and have reality and go to a job that everybody hates. You know, everybody hates their job. So it's, it is what it is. And I just feel like that's so disheartening, especially because Puerto Rico has a lot of um, assets. Like it has the U.S. Postal Service that operates here. It has, you know, internet that, that counts as the U.S. So you really should be able to operate in all aspects like the U.S. Um, and serve people in that sense, right? You shouldn't be limited to foot traffic on the island. You shouldn't be affected if there's earthquakes or hurricanes. There should be a way to reach your audience 
abroad. And especially because mainland, there's so many Puerto Ricans living there that have such nostalgia for the island. So I've really enjoyed, uh, my goal with people of Puerto Rico is to help people establish an online presence business owners, um, entrepreneurs, and start generating revenue streams. So our first entrepreneur is a young girl. Well, not girl. She's a woman, but younger, 18. Um, and she has started her own like plush toy line uh, and whole world. They're aliens. Like they're these little creatures that she made and they're really cool plush toys. She hand makes them, but also she designs the comic books to go along with them and tell their story. So she's a female comic book artist. She's a really talented with like designing and like st stitching and sewing, which is something nobody knows nowadays. And she does all of these things and she has an idea. And I think, you know, she just needs somebody to stand behind her and say, this is a good idea. These are all the ways that we can get it onto the world and find the people that will like this and resonate with it. And so same, same thing with our, our second entrepreneur that we just took on. She does a lot of paintings, artwork, things like that. She has some beautiful prints that are custom, that she could be making custom pieces. She could be making, you know, taking her most popular prints and putting them into merchandise and selling them on an online store easily. And people here are often feel like they're stuck in jobs that pay $10 an hour because that's all that they're going to be able to get when they have such talent that they could really market and monetize online because they have such wonderful things that they're either making. I mean, it's just amazing the skill set that people have on islands, the things they can do, how creative there are. People create whole origami things out of palm leaf strips. Like, I mean, there's they're so creative with the things they do on an island that it's just finding a way to monetize that because these are products that people everywhere else are going to want to get. And that's going to stand out from anything that's like a major company, you know, that's just mass produced. You mentioned about, you know, freezing your eggs and, you know, single life and everything. Um, I mean, your relationships, I mean, in terms of being single years gone by, is it because of the fact that you've been traveling that no one's that you've not been able to attach to someone? In general, there is some element of that um, because I am traveling a lot, and so I think it, a lot of people think, "Oh, well, you're going to meet the love of your life while traveling. It'll happen. Like this is just it's going to be great. That's going to be the happy ending to this twelve trips and twelve months story." And I actually have people that are really disappointed when that's not the ending, right? Like they want this story to work out like they have it in their minds, but that's not how life works. And I think, in general, when you go someplace that you're there for a little bit of time. 90% of the men there are going to be like, awesome. You're here for a little bit of time. Like you're here for two weeks. You're here for a month. Like, great. Um, and then they're going to want whatever they want for that time period and then move on. So I did, I'm not a kind of person that likes to enter into kind of just like transitory dealings or just like have that, you know, understanding. Cause I, at this point, I feel like I have done a lot of work on myself and I have realized what I want. So I want to make sure that I have somebody who's willing to jump in with me, right? Or at least pursue it the right way. Not already thinking like, ooh, there's a one month deadline on this. Like, perfect. So that has been a deterrent for me. Um, and part of the reason why I came to Puerto Rico to settle down and why I've been here now for a year because I wanted to have roots somewhere that I had. And also my souvenirs are really hard to keep track of and I need to have them displayed because like, I'm not going back to get that wooden carved mask. Like I want to just make sure it's here. Um, so I wanted to have a place where I was in and then I have, well, then the quarantine hit. But I mean, I can't even blame the quarantine because I was like, I should use the quarantine as even more of a reason to start dating again because nobody will want to meet up. 
but I just uh, haven't prioritized it until recently. I think I've been working on a lot of things personally to feel like I'm at a place where I am successful, right? Or that I'm sustainable. And I think with the when the pandemic hit, I was scrambling to try to make up for any loss of income in terms of ad revenue or things of the sort with loss of traffic searches, loss of book sales, things like that. So I've just been really work, work, work for the last three years. And I had like, you know, some apps that I downloaded, but it would go like two weeks without me answering to people. And I'm just like, oh, I'm the worst at this. Like I am really bad because I had so many things. But now I think I've really, I've come to a point now where I have the work has started to pay off and I will be looking to prioritize that more in the future now that I'm somewhere where I know I have some some kind of root. Relationships, someone once told me, you know, it'll be when you least expect it. So uh, you might be looking for, five months six months whatever you know you found people online and stuff and then you're gonna someone will come pop up and you're like where does that come from you know i'm not i wasn't expecting it so i'm sure this oh, there is someone out there i mean i'm i'm still single i've been i've been in your boat as well by the way i think i once had in one year i think it was something like 17 dates uh which is a lot by the way and wow. then <laughs> well within those by the way there was <laughs> within those by the way there was like two three months stints as well so if you think about it it's like more than one a month isn't it so actually it's like that's heavy but i remember i remember one day oh, it was awful because i was set up by a friend and said oh come on there's this girl here you know really likes you i was like oh i'm not too sure went out First thing, I think within like five minutes, the question was, so I hear you love travel. I was like, yes, I do. And she said, well, I hate travel. And it's like, well, how is it going to work if you hate travel? <laughs> you know what? I actually ran out of that day. I made an excuse and said, I've got a wedding to get to. And she's like, yeah. this it was like, it was like six o'clock. And I was like, you've got a wedding to get. You just remember the wedding now. I was like, and I couldn't think of anything. I was like, horrible and but what I did was I, I I went to the the restroom, came back. She had a drink still. I said, "Well, I've called a taxi." I said, like, "Okay, I'll see you later." And I went outside and I saw a taxi pull up, and I thought that's her taxi. And I just ran to the station. Sometimes that, and you think to yourself, "Will you ever find someone that can connect with you on on, a, on an emotional level, understands you fully, a hundred percent, why you do what you do?" You know, so. I think that that's that's the issue that I've had anyway. It is difficult to find somebody that understands. Um, I've had some people that have popped up along the way that have encouraged me to keep going. Like I firmly believe people are placed in your life for a reason when they come in, and that you have a lesson to learn from all of them. And so I've had I have had people that have made me feel better along the journey. Like there was one man who was like. Um, well, I was in Hawaii and they were filming a Netflix movie. I didn't know this. I was just trying to have dinner and go to sleep like a boring person that I am. Um, but they all came in like these people. And this guy was one of their, I guess, security people. And he was a ex uh, Native American chief, uh, like from the center. He was like huge. And I don't know how, but we ended up like hanging out and talking. And by the end of it, he was just like, you know, Jen, like you're a really special person. Like, I really want you to like, remember that. And like, somebody's going to be really lucky to end up with you. So he was so kind. And it was just such an unexpected encounter. He, and he, didn't, he didn't ask you out then? So I think he had like a person because he's older and he had like three sons my age, but he was, he was definitely still like good looking. And he did invite me the next day to come on the set, but apparently this was a movie I don't even know. I think the movie's come out since then, but I don't want to say, but it had like a big star in it. And then there was like an NDA and everything. So I couldn't come on the set, but he was teaching the like 
kids how to do the karate or military moves because he's also in the military. So he was fact checking all the, mil- it was just cool. Like it was just a cool person. Um, and I am really interested in cool people. Like I love people with stories, with brains, with things that they enjoy and are passionate about. So I think at first he was like, you know, at first I just saw him sitting at the bar and I was like, cause I sit at the bar by myself. Um, cause I'm not going to take up a whole table. And he's like, I just thought, you know, whatever, another like kind of groupy girl. He's like, but then I, I talked to you and it's like amazing. I'm like, I know I have a lot to offer. <laughs> um, so I feel like there are people along the way that do come at the right time to encourage me and keep me going and make me feel like I'm on the right path. It's just not meant to be at this time yet. And I'm very grateful for any and all bullets that I have dodged up until now. Like anybody that I maybe thought that would have been the person back then, like they're so not the person now. So I'm so glad that I did not get tied to that person in any way. Um, So I think it's all working out the way it's supposed to. And I'm just having fun knowing that I have still the best days of my life ahead of me. One thing, do people get, um, because of your success, do they think, oh, I don't know what they can handle. You know, she's, she's so... No, I wouldn't say domineering, but she's so successful in her career. You know, I'm nothing. Does, does that ever come up? Come about? I don't lead with that. <laughs> I definitely am not like, hi, I'm Jen, TEDx speaker, Amazon bestseller. Like, what have you done? Um, no, I don't lead with that. I just try to talk about things. I don't even really mention travel that much. I think they can see it in my pictures, but I'm just like, oh, I travel. Like, yeah, sometimes I like to travel. Like, you know, like I don't like really go into it. Some people have found me before. I go, oh, like, I know you, I read your blog or like, I find you from your blog. And I'm like, mm. um, so it's been interesting. Um, I think there is that sense of, I think there's always been that sense around me because I've always been a very outgoing person. And so I think in general, I think I've, a lot of people have tried to like I take it as a challenge, like almost like, can you land Jen kind of thing? Oh, always in college and law school. Like, and I feel like a lot of people were disappointed when they didn't win the challenge. And it's just, I just ended up being by myself. Like I don't need to be with anybody. Um, but I, I don't know, maybe it's because of that. I think there are still people that still reach out to me and contact me. It's just like to see if they still have the ability to like, like just the other day, I had somebody chat like with five messages in a row. Like, hey, hey, remember me? Hey, like I'm like, <laughs> so it's a lot, and I just it's why I find it so attractive people that actually have something that I'm not the one that's dominating the conversation that they have something like really to offer. Because when I go to a dinner and like a, a person's talking about really cool things, like they renovated this or they're investing in this or they're thinking about launching this new endeavor, I'm just like, this is cool. Like this is somebody that's on my vibe vibe and frequency right um and i think that that applies to anybody i don't think you have to be like a set profession a set degree a set education or anything like that i just think you have to be somebody that's passionate about what you do it could be that you're a mechanic but you really love cars and you're passionate about renovating old cars and you know everything that there is to know about this one particular brand and you want to open your own garage like that's fascinating so i just like people with a story to offer that's why i'm I'm a storyteller and i think i'm naturally drawn to that um it's not the majority of people the majority of people are just like oh hey want to meet up (laughs) and i'm just like no (laughs) well as I said, it will come when you least expect it. Any memorable places that sticks in your mind um, that you've traveled? I, asking you what your favorite is, is is quite difficult. So anything that always sticks in your mind, that was one of the very transformative moments that I ever had traveling. 
stereotypical, but the South of France was a really big deal for me because I hadn't been and I wanted to go and see the lavender fields. I really love art. So I was able to go to Arles and find all of the different places that Van Gogh painted like in real life and then compare them to the paintings. And that was so fun for me. And I did my own road trip there. And that was my like longest trip that that year of adventure. And it was a trip that I paid, you know, whatever it's going to cost to get to France. I don't care, but I'm going in July when the lavender's blooming. Um, so that was great because I wanted something to happen. I, I just wanted to have like a purely indulgent moment where I just frolicked in lavender fields, eating cheese and bread while singing Beauty and the Beast songs. And I felt like that was my bliss calling to me. And I did just that. And it was wonderful. And so it did not let down. Um, after that, I'd say also Cambodia was really great. I was able to go to Angkor Wat and I had a wonderful tour guide that just showed me a lot of the history. I love history and historic sites and things like that. That's why I did the art walk in, in Arles. Um, but I thought it was really fascinating to see that this obviously very powerful space because so many people have been drawn to it and how it's changed over the centuries. And he was pointing out where the carvings, depending on whether it was um, like kind of Hindu or Buddhist, whoever the ruler, ruler was at that time, they would change the carvings. So like arms up, arms down, like, you know, like um, to try to take over these ancient temples and just uh, how massive the complex was, all the stories behind it, just it's like a storybook on the walls. Like you just, you read it there with the, the tales. And that was really cool for me. You go to um, Phnom Penh and go to the Killing Fields because Cambodia is one of my most transformative experiences to date. Time constraints didn't allow me to, but I wish that I had gone and it's on my list to go back to. I know that they have like um, a museum about the mines and everything that were there. And I, so I'd love to learn more about that firsthand. I didn't have that much time to do so, but I know Cambodia was on my list to return to just seeing i mean i went then the, the skulls and the bones it like really hit me and i was like oh my god this is like i i just couldn't get i could just couldn't handle the emotions it was like I, I think just seeing that just really hit home so if i had any stress uh coming back to the uk um it i would always think of that moment and think oh you know what nothing to stress about so I don't really get stressed anymore like even when I went on the um the panel the other day you'd think I'd be having kittens as we say here um not at all it was like yeah it's okay you know not too not too bad uh, but I think moments like that really define you and I think it really helps you going forward I think so uh, you should definitely put that on your list after the after when you can travel properly so I agree. And absolutely with anything like that, where you realize you just get a change in perspective and you realize how lucky you are to be in your circumstances. It, that's the whole point of travel because you think that your life has problems, but you just haven't seen your life outside of your bubble. And once you do, you'll be running back to your life so quickly because you don't actually have problems, you know, and it's actually manageable and what you, where you're at is much better than where other people are. And I think that's the whole point of travel is to get that perspective. Um, it can be hard. I've had breakdown moments of that sort. Like when I went to the um, Japanese internment camp at Heart Mountain on a press trip. So that was fun because I was like, I cannot even sit through this movie. Like, I, I don't want to watch it. I don't. I understand that you're, the movie's meant to be informative, but I don't need to be informed of it because I already know it's an atrocity and I'm already angry about it. Like you're trying to inform people about what happened and I'm telling you I'm up in arms already and I'm seeing a lot of it echoed in how people are treating, you know, Hispanics currently with the detention camps. So I can't sit through this. And that was on a press trip. So I was super popular on that trip. I just make friends wherever I go. Um, it's just, but I couldn't, I couldn't sit through it because I felt like it was a very emotional place. It was such a sad place. 
there were sunflowers. Sunflowers look up to the sun. Like that's what they are biologically engineered to do. And all of the sunflowers on a bright sunny day were looking down at the ground like if they were crying. Reminds me actually, I watched The Killing Fields, the film, after I went to The Killing Fields itself. I remember it was very difficult to watch. Have you ever watched that film, by the way, The Killing Fields? I haven't. Uh-huh. Uh, so the ending was just like so sad it was like and the, they played like John uh, I'm a big Beatles fan uh, they played John Lennon's music and I was like wow this is like the most amazing film ever and um, so I think there will be moments like that for people uh, when we look at the situation now where you know we're, I'm very fortunate in this country but I mean I'm, I'm quite lucky that I'm okay financially but um, countries around the world where they rely on tourism you know, that gives them jobs they're struggling, you know. I've got friends, you know, places like Cambodia that I know, you know, Peru, you know, embarrassingly sort of asking me for, for money for a bit of a handout. And, you know, they're embarrassed to ask that, but they're struggling because, you know, that there's cases of if there's no tourism, there's no jobs, no one cares, the government doesn't care. So it, it's, um, it, there's, there's things that people just have to understand, you know. Sometimes I've had people, you know, tell me, uh, why did you travel during a pandemic? And, you know, I documented everything to say I travel safely. Um, I did the COVID test, by the way, I came out negative. Uh, there was cases where I met people and they said, thank you for coming because, you know, we've not had anyone and it helps. It shows people that, you know, we're safe and, you know, my restaurant's gone, you know, no one's coming and stuff. So I think you got to, I, th- I think, be have an open mind to it. If you narrow your, narrow your mind, um, then we're not going to go anywhere. I agree. I'm glad that you were able to travel safely. And I think as we move forward, that people are going to be looking to travel bloggers for more information on how to do that and to really be the first ones to go and break that barrier again. Um, But it it is going to have to be a return to something at some point with some restrictions, you know, moving forward because of all the reasons that you said. And I hope that in the meantime, these people can find other ways to kind of pivot, so to speak, make their uh, versions, you know, wherever they can do online, subscription boxes, cooking classes, you know, however you can make the ends meet. I think now it's the time to get creative. Um, you know, the, there's a woman in Mexico that runs a farm that has 3 million followers on her YouTube channel, just sharing authentic Mexican recipes, you know? So I think that there's room for it, but it's definitely a time to hustle. Um, but I think most entrepreneurs know that and do that already anyway. So it's just the getting over the dejection of of seeing everything drop because I think so many people spend time and it's not that you can't cry about it, but so many people spend time crying about it. They don't act over it because they're so busy mourning it. And I understand that completely. I get that. I've always had a tough love mother that every time I've called her complaining about something, she's just seemed bored and she's just been like, okay, Jen, all right, whatever. So what are you going to do? Are you going to cry about it? Are you going to jump out the window? Are you going to kill yourself? Is this it? Is this the end of your life? No. If we're done crying about it, you let me know, and then we can talk about a solution. And I am—I know that's a lot for most people to take, and they're oh, like, why would your mother talk to you that way? But she talks to me that way so that I don't sit there and cry about things, so that whenever something goes wrong, I have that voice in my head that says, crying about this is useless. What are you going to do to fix it? What's the solution time? Are we done sitting here crying now? Like, can we actually brainstorm and come up with the next steps? And that is always my go-to. And I know it's harsh, but that's how I've been prepared to survive. And I'm so grateful for that because when all my stuff, you know, when my ad revenue tanked, you know, I lost more than $3,000 a month on, you know, sponsorships that were gone, you know, so, and I was like, okay, well, can't sit here and cry about it. Got to sit here and work on the next thing. Like you just, you can't, you don't have time to mourn things. You just got to 
I mean, and there are things that you should mourn, obviously, like loss of people, loss of, you know, relationships. You want to process those emotions. But at the same time, when it's business, we don't really got time to process emotions. We just got to make business moves, right? Like we just got to think about the next business thing and keep it moving. And that's the only thing you can do. Resiliency is the name of the game. So find something else to do. Keep up with the trend. Keep moving forward. You don't have time to sit here and be like, oh, my God, everything's changed. Because then things keep changing without you while you're still sitting there being sad about it. I know it's rough. I know it's tough. And I know you want, you just want somebody to be like, no, this is horrible and it's unfair. And this is the world should not have done this to you, but the world is horrible and unfair and will do horrible things to you. So you just got to stand up and keep punching back. I like to think of myself as that like blow up clown that when you punch it, it just goes down and then comes right back up with a smile. (laughs) So that's kind of what you got to do. The world's going to keep punching. You just got to come back up every time and get ready to get punched again and do it again and again. And then that's life. And uh, hopefully you have some fun along the way. <laughs> Amazing. You know, Jane, I, I can speak to you all night, uh, but I'm going to have to leave it there. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, amazing story. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Shabs. For all the up-to-date news on Jen, head to jenonajetplane.com. You can find her on all social media platforms under the same handle, Jen on a Jet Plane. And all of her books on Amazon are by Jen Ruiz. That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.